Good morning. Hey, Ashworth, here in the room and online, I'm glad you're here this morning. And um, I'm eager to continue on in our, we've been in this Dining with Jesus series, and uh, this, this day is going to be good. Um, we've had a lot of different dinners, or we've experienced a lot of um, learning about Jesus and who he is through all these different meals that he's had. We've seen Jesus interact with kind of scandalous people or people that he, he shouldn't be interacting with. We've seen him um, have deep conversations and call people out. We've seen um, people be touched by him. And today we're gonna see a little bit different Jesus. Uh, this is what I refer to as spicy Jesus. He's a little uh, spicy in this passage, which means mad um, and a little frustrated. And uh, there's a lot here, so I'm just gonna jump in. You ready for this? <laughs> like Fourth of July weekend, we, got a spi- we have a firework Jesus, I, I suppose. So here we go. Luke 11, 37 to 41. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So we went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for you, what is inside you? Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Okay, this is an interesting way to start a dinner party. He's invited, Jesus is invited to the Pharisees, this Pharisee's home. There's lots of people there, lots of Pharisees and experts in the law, which we'll talk about later. And he sits down to eat with them and he doesn't wash his hands. So in the Jewish culture, there would have been like ceremonial cleansing laws or traditions that you follow. Um, This was not about, you know, COVID or hygiene or whatever. This was like, you do this as as a, a way to clean yourself before the meal. It's a ceremonial thing. Every Jew does it. But Jesus didn't do it. He sat down at that table without washing his hands, without cleansing his hands. And normally they would cleanse the cups and the plates and the things around them. He didn't do it. And he sits down to eat with them after they've invited him. And the first thing that happens is that he notices the Pharisees giving him uh, this shady look. Like, why did you not clean yourself before you sat down to eat? And he instantly kind of like goes into this rant like, oh, Let's talk about filth. You want to talk about filth? You ha- like, and I imagine him, you know, picking up the cup that's in front of him and saying, like, look, let's look inside this cup, you know? When you wash a cup, would you normally wash, you know, the inside or the outside? Well, of course you wash the inside first, right? If it's a filthy cup on the inside, it's useless. Well, this is what he's telling them. And essentially he's like, he's like, you are the cup. You are the filthy cup. You are useless. I mean, what a way to begin. What an icebreaker, you know, for the dinner party. And that's how he begins. And I, as I was reading this passage this week, I thought, wow, Jesus, like, you don't even give them any time. You know, they have one thought about you, and you just lay into them um, at dinner at their house. But it hadn't just been this one moment. You know, you know how that goes where, like, you're in a fight with your spouse or your child or your friend, and they've made you mad so many times. I'm sure this never happens to any of you, just me. 
Um, you know, but they made you mad so many times that you haven't really said anything or you've kind of said something, but whatever. Then you, eventually you're like, okay, I am, this is, you know, this is making me crazy. Um, in our house, we call that a come to Jesus meeting. Did anybody else grow up with that term? Yeah, well, br- my brother, yeah. Like, we would be like, my mom would be like, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting about that, you know? And that meant like, okay, there is about to be an ultimatum. You know, there is, this is like, we have enough is enough. And I feel like that's what's happening. Jesus has interacted with the Pharisees so many times, and he has um, addressed so many issues that he's had with them, and he's having to do it yet again. And just even in the stories that we've um, talked about on, this, on Sunday mornings in this series, like uh, the woman who interrupts a dinner at the Pharisee's home and washes Jesus' feet with this perfume and her tears and dries his feet with her hair, and she's a woman with a poor reputation. And remember, the Pharisees then said to him, why are you letting this woman do this to you? If you knew who she was, you would not allow her to touch you. And he's like, excuse me. And he lets them know what he thinks then, you know. And there's another meal um, I preached a few weeks ago on Levi the tax collector. And he goes to his home. And the Pharisees show up there. They keep showing up at all these dinners. And they're like, why are you eating? Why is this man eating with sinners and tax collectors? And he's letting them know again, this is what I do. This is who I am. And so there's this moment. They invite him over for dinner again. He sits at the table. He doesn't, and I'm sure intentionally, does not ceremonially cleanse himself. And right away, they're, they're concerned about it. And right away, he's on to them. And he's saying to them, you are like a filthy cup. Um, on the inside, you're filthy. And on the outside, you're clean. And so on the outside, you look good. But on the inside, something is very wrong. If you were clean on the outside, you would be generous to the poor. And everything would be clean for you. So this is what's happening. And he goes on. It gets worse. It gets worse. Luke 11, uh, 42 says, Woe to you, Pharisees! You give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all the other kind of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and you love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. So he continues, woe to you. And this week I wondered, what does woe mean? Uh, what does he mean by woe there? And I looked it up in the Greek, um, and it's, it's this idea of, this, it's an expression of, of deep grief and indignation. So he is deeply grieved at their actions, and he's mad. This is why I say spicy Jesus. He is mad, and he is, and it's also, there's a a way that it translates to like denunciation. So not only is he, does he have feelings about what they've done, but he he is very clearly saying, this is wrong, this is not okay, and you will experience some kind of consequence for what you've done. Um, And so when he's saying, woe to you, imagine that. He's saying, I am deeply grieved, I am deeply angry, and I am denouncing the way you have handled these situations. And as a reminder, he's talking to Pharisees. I know we've talked about Pharisees um, a lot in this series and their reactions to Jesus, but just as a reminder, um, because there's two groups that are at this meal. One is the Pharisees, and they're... um, 
leaders in the religious community, but they were not professionals. You know, it wasn't their job. They were just people who were very passionate um, about kind of following the traditional laws and rules of God's word. Um, but they were lay people. They were normal people. And now Jesus is having dinner with them, and now he is telling them, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. I am deeply grieved and mad, and I'm denouncing these things. So what is he so mad about? What is Jesus woeing them about? His problem with them, uh, his problems were many, but the, fir- the, the woes that he shares here um, are clear. So number one, he's saying, woe to you. You give God a tenth of your mint and your spices. And, and, um, and even in reading this week, it talked about how they would literally like measure out by the ounce. You know, we would talk about this as the tithe, like exact 10%, figuring out all the math. But you neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is they're prioritizing the wrong things they have a priority for kind of right actions and doing all these right things in appearance, um, but they don't prioritize what's in their hearts. They don't prioritize um, their hearts or relationships. It's the idea of them being so meticulous and all about this kind of like, I want to do the right thing, and I want people to see me do the right thing, and I want to mark these things off my list of my tasks that I do for God or to make God happy. But in the midst of that, they treat their neighbor poorly and they don't have hearts that are toward God. Neglecting justice and the love of God. When I, when I heard that phrase and I read that over and over this week, neglect justice and the love of God, I thought, wow, you know what they're doing? They're neglecting the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor, right? Love God and love people. And if you're neglecting justice in your community and neglecting to care for your neighbors and you neglect your own love for God, you're not doing things out of love for God, but you're doing things out of duty. You're not doing the greatest commandment. You don't have love in you. You're prioritizing the wrong things. And number two, I see Jesus woes. His problem with the Pharisee is that they are full of pride and self-promotion. They were obsessed with being seen and known and respected, and they loved to be in you know, the front of the synagogue, and they loved to be greeted with honor, and in the marketplaces as they walked by, they loved it when people recognized them and respected them and honored them. And there's nothing wrong with respect and honor. All those things are actually good, um, but that became their obsession. They wanted to look good. And on the inside, like Jesus said, the inside of the cup, they were filthy. They cared so much about what was on the outside, and they cared so much about how they were perceived. And I thought about this this week. I was like, hmm, I really like attention. I love to be seen as great, you know? I love to be seen as respected and and fun. Probably all the things other people don't want to be seen as. (laughs) The life of the party, no. I, I love, you know, I love those things. And I was asking the Lord, like, what is that, like, pharisaical, you know, and I do feel like, no, my motives are not bad in those things, but sometimes I do have these feelings that creep up in me that I'm like, hmm, I'm better than that person, and I probably don't say that, or I don't even think that exact thought, but I have other thoughts that would be summed up in, I'm better than them, or I'm better at that than them, or I 
know what to do in that situation, or I know how to study scripture and they don't, or my theology is right and theirs isn't. You know, I have those feelings. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees, pride and self-promotion. And Jesus was like, no, no, woe to you. I denounce your obsession with how you look and your desire to be honored and receive all this attention for how you are on the outside. And then the third one is making others unclean. So there, this is where he talks about um, you know, touching a grave and, and you've, you've made other people unclean because you've walked over graves. In the Jewish tradition, um, one of the worst things you could do um, to be unclean would be to come in contact with a dead body, even if it was like in a, gra- a dug grave and you're walking over the ground of it. In fact, they did a lot of all these kind of additional measures to, to um, you've heard of whitewashed tombs, right? They, they did all this to like make tombs um, stand out so that people could see them so they wouldn't accidentally walk on people's graves and then accidentally become unclean. And what he's saying here is he's like, you all are doing that. You all are unclean, and then you're coming in contact with people. He's essentially calling them the dead people. He's like, you are spiritually dead. You are unclean, and you don't even realize it, and then people are walking around. You're, you are leading people to death. You are leading people to uncleanliness. I mean, this is, Jesus is saying very intense things here. I read a commentary this week um, where this woman said, if we don't deal with what's going on in our hearts, we spread it. If you have a lot of pride or whatever it might be, you've got to deal with it. If you don't, you can leave behind a trail of sick and broken people hurt by your brand of Christianity. If you love being religious, you're not going to spread love of God or love of neighbor, but traditionalism and works righteousness. Ooh, I read that. I'm like, oh, This is us. This is so much about us. I was talking to Liz this morning and I said, wow, I'm struck by what happens with the Pharisees and the experts of the law in this interaction. The issues that they dealt with and the things that made Jesus so mad then is so much of what the church continues to deal with today. We love to be seen. We love optics. We love to look good. We love to be seen as right and... um, and not caring actually about our neighbors or the issues in our cities or our communities or our world. So he has a lot to say to the Pharisees, and then it goes on. It gets worse. Um, In verse 45, we hear that there's another group of people at this dinner, and the other group of people at the dinner are the experts in the law or, or what they would have called the lawyers, maybe different than how we understand it, but they would have been um, experts in the Mosaic law. They would have known exactly, you know, like what it means, how to interpret it, and they were professionals. This was their full-time job was, they were paid to interpret scripture and then to tell these Pharisees and other people how to live it out and what to do and how to live out these laws in their life. So this was their job. And they're in the room too because they spend a lot of time with the Pharisees. They tell the Pharisees what to do and the Pharisees do it. And so there's a moment when one of these experts of the law speaks up. It's verse 45. It says, the the expert of the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. He's like, excuse me, you're kind of coming down on these Pharisees and they're connected to us. You know, we're telling them what to do. We're helping them interpret scripture like you're insulting us and we're the experts in the law. Like, how can you do that? And, um, 
Jesus is like, oh, actually, I have some woes that are very specifically for you, even beyond the Pharisees. So Luke 46 says, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I'll send the prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that's been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for all of it. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. Like, this, is, this dinner is getting very intense, right? The Pharisees are mad. They've been called out in a major way. Now the experts of the law who are interpreting scripture, the Mosaic law for these guys, they're being called out. And what is Jesus' problem with them? And these, so we see these three additional woes are for them. Number four, the the fourth woe here, or the first woe to um, the experts in the law, um, is that they're imposing impossible standards. They're imposing impossible standards. And this is the that first section where he's um, saying to them, you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. What experts of the law were doing at the time was they were kind of forcing people to follow rules and regulations that were too, that were impossible, that they actually couldn't do. And then they themselves, as the experts of the law, would find loopholes around them, you know, and they would find kind of ways where they didn't necessarily have to follow all those things, but the people that they were teaching and the way they interpreted scripture made it really hard, really almost impossible for people to really follow the rules of the law at that time. So you get this sense of like, they were burdening people. I mean, can you imagine like, um, people would not have questioned the experts of the law because that's their job, you know, they're paid to do this. They are the respected, honored people. Um, You know, we listen to them and respect them. Whatever they tell me is true. And so these these folks are trying to live out these rules that are impossible. And then the second woe to the experts of the law, um, the problem that Jesus has with them is that they're hypocrites. He's like addressing hypocrisy, and that's what all this stuff about the prophets is, essentially. He's like, your fathers killed these prophets, and you are now acting like, oh, we, are, we think that was so wrong, and now you're, you're building monuments and memorials to honor these prophets that your fathers killed because you all are so, so good. But actually, that's not true. They were still, the way they were living was dishonoring the prophets. The way they were living was in opposition to what the prophets had said. And they themselves weren't listening to the prophets. That's called hypocrisy, right? You're doing one thing and you're saying another. They're saying, oh, we honor them and we're building these monuments for them. But they are not honoring them with their lives. They are just like their fathers. In fact, the ironic part here is that at the end of this dinner, the very end of this dinner, it talks about how 
Jesus kind of gives them this ultimatum, it feels like, you know, this come to Jesus meeting. At the end of the dinner, it says, then the Pharisees and the experts of the law left and they began to plot. And they began to, um, they were angry at Jesus and they began their kind of plan to call him out and to get him into trouble. And what does that lead to? That actually leads eventually to Jesus' death. So they themselves are about to kill a prophet, right? But they're building these monuments to honor prophets. It's hypocrisy. He's calling, them, he's calling them out on their hypocrisy. And then finally, the last thing that Jesus says is that you're, you're keeping people, you have the key of knowledge and you're keeping people from understanding. It's the idea of, uh, that they're creating barriers that keep people from Jesus, and in so many commentaries and things I read, people said the way this, like having been the, the last woe, the way it was in the passage, this would have been the heaviest and the most important and the worst thing that they were doing. They were withholding the key of knowledge. As experts in this job, as experts in the law, their job was to unlock scripture, to unlock God's heart for people, right? To help them learn and interpret and understand God's word and God's ways, but he says, you actually don't even get it, and you're keeping other people from knowing God. When I was reading, I was blown away to find out that so much of um, what the experts of the law would do was, um, because this was their job and this is how they made their living, they didn't want other people to actually be empowered to learn and follow God's law themselves, right? So they would work hard um, to make the mystery of scripture more mysterious than it actually was. Like they didn't want people to actually understand. They wanted to be the only ones who understood. They didn't want, the, they didn't want God's law to be simple and plain, right? Because that would mess with kind of their privileges of being the ones who know and can interpret scripture. It would mess with the profits that they get from their job. And so they would make scripture less accessible or they would make God's laws harder to follow and less accessible by people. Taking the law into their own kind of special keeping and interpreting it for people as they pleased. Wow. I see why Jesus was like, woe to you. When I read that last one this week, it made me cry. I was reading it to Matthew and I said, we still do that today. The church in America, in my opinion, is still creating barriers to keep people from Jesus. We're like, we have that subtle Pharisaicalism where we're like, we're better than them. We understand scripture the right way, they don't. We understand how to follow God, they don't. Right? There's something in us, and I don't think Ashworth is this way. I think Ashworth, said, Ashworth as a whole has worked hard to say, we want to love and invite and bless and serve, and we long to have people encounter God's love. I think that's a heartbeat of who we are as a church, but we have, this is an issue in the American church, and it creeps in, where we are like, we want to have this kind of, you're in and you're out kind of thing. There's a, um, I don't even know who, who created this idea, but there's a, um, an, a, a teacher who talked about um, centered set versus bounded set. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this, but it's the idea of um, that as followers of Jesus, 
or as Christians, evangelical Christians in particular, we have had like, um, we've always thought about following God as this kind of bounded set, right? It's, it's, a, it's a set of things and they're bound, right? It's a, so you can imagine it's a big circle and, um, and it's bound. And you're either in or you're out, right? You're in or you're out. And we determine, right? The Pharisees and the experts of the law determine who's in and who's out. And we do that. It happens all the time. And it's just very subtle. But we determine who's in, who's out, who deserves this, who deserves that, right? And then there's this idea of centered set, which is so much more like the kingdom of God and what we see in Jesus and why he's mad. Because he's like, no, I'm at the center. There is no ring. There is no in or out. There isn't something bound. I am at the center, and you're either moving toward me or away from me. It's as simple as that. There's not an in or an out. There are not barriers to keeping people from me except for experts of the law or Pharisees, us, Christians. And we do that. And that's why I cry. This is why people are deconstructing. We just did the deconstruction series. This is why so many young people that I talk to are deconstructing. Because they're like, yeah, I, I'm not in. I know that the way I think or feel or my experiences in life or something about who I am does not fit in. And so I can't be in. That is not Jesus. That is 100% not Jesus. And that's why in this message here, he's saying, woe to you who have made these rules and regulations, these heavy burdens that are not right. Those are man-made. These are ways that you're twisting the law. You're twisting these things. I long for all people to come to me. What had happened to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is summed up in that image of the cup. Everything for them was about the outside of the cup. We want to have a nice looking outside of the cup when on the inside it was filthy and Jesus is saying following me is not about the outside of the cup I want to sit down here and have a meal with you and if I'm not ceremonially cleansed that's fine it doesn't matter what matters is in my heart right he is saying in this moment I care about what's inside you I care about your love for me and your love for people, and your love for justice. And you have forgotten those things. You've neglected those things. You've become so obsessed about doing the right thing and appearing the right way and having um, places of honor and being right that you've missed it. You've missed it. It's about your heart and what's in your heart. When you have a, when you have a heart that's full of generosity and love for your brothers, then your cup will be clean is what he says. The Pharisees were just so much about truth or their version of truth. They were so much about rules. And why? I wrestled with that this week. Why? Why were they so obsessed with that? Because I don't want to distance myself from them. You know, in some ways I'm like, I see myself in this as well. Why were they so obsessed with kind of their version of truth or the rules? And they were obsessed because... <coughs> What they wanted was approval. What they wanted was significance. And ironically, I think that's why they had Jesus over to begin with. It was like, let's have him to our house so that he can tell us that we're great and we're doing everything right. And ironically, Jesus is like, woe to you. I am deeply grieved. I'm mad and uh, I am denouncing the way 
that you are living. I think they wanted approval. I think they want significance. There's something in us, human nature even, that's like we want to be better than others. We want to be the best. We want, it's like this idea of like the VIPs. And for whatever reason, this seems like it has been kind of a sin of Christians for ages. Of There's a VIP group and a not. You know, there's an in and an out. But Jesus is about heart and relationship. He is about love of him and love of neighbor. We don't have to be about optics. We don't have to be about performance. We don't have to be about those things. That is not the kingdom of God, and Jesus is making that incredibly clear to the Pharisees and the experts of the law here. And this week, he was making that incredibly clear to me. I mean, I I cried over this, reading this this week, because I thought, oh, I don't think the church has really come that far. Like, I feel like we're still, we still deal with being Pharisees, and we still struggle with feeling like we are the experts of the law. We understand. We know how to interpret scripture like no one else does, you know? Do we? What if we focus on the heart and God's love for us and our love for him and our love for neighbor and the justice of God? And as I was getting to the end of this passage, I'm like, so where is the good news here? Or like, where is the hope? Is there any hope in it? Like, is there any... Any, anything good that will come out of this dinner? Like, the, so far, this dinner has been a disaster, you know? I mean, these guys wanted Jesus' approval. He's come in, and he's laid all their stuff bare and ta- talked to him about, you know, deep grievances. I'm like, oh, woe to you. Like, wow, was not expecting that. But there is good news. There is good news here. Now, the Pharisees and the experts of the law, they don't receive it. But the good news in this story to me is Jesus himself Jesus came to, he, they invited him for dinner, and he didn't say, no, I'm done with you. Instead, he said, I'll come. And then when they began to go into their ways all over again that are so unlike his ways, he said, okay, enough is enough. I want to tell you the truth. This is not what it means to be lovers of God and followers of Jesus. He's like, here, What it means to be lovers of God and followers of Jesus is that you don't have to work for your approval. You don't have to be obsessed with pride and self-righteousness and your actions and your perfect interpretations of the law. You will see eventually when I die for you that I love you and I want to know you and I want you to understand that in the kingdom of God there's freedom and joy and life there. So here I sit at this table calling you out because I love you. This is my literal come to Jesus meeting. Enough is enough. I've got to confront you. I want you to see. I want to reveal to you who God really is. And it's me. It's Jesus. And I am the opposite of the six woes that I just laid out for you. I am Jesus. And I represent the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God cares about your heart, not your right actions or what you look like on the outside. The kingdom of God values and holds up and loves humility, not this significance or this pride or this self-promotion. And in the kingdom of God, I love the least of these. I'm not concerned about those honored guests at the head of the table. I'm looking to see who's outside the party, who's outside the synagogue. In the kingdom of God, there's not an uncleanliness or a death. There's life, an abundant life. I give you cleanliness. 
in the kingdom of God, there are no heavy burdens. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in the kingdom of God, I am who I say I am. I have integrity. You can trust me. I don't live this way and do this. I am who I say I am. You will see that my actions and my heart line up. And in the kingdom of God, I am all about breaking barriers so that people can experience God's love. I am not about erecting barriers to make it harder, no. You know that scripture, is it Isaiah 39, 40? I can't even remember where it is, but, but even the prophets talk about there's someone coming who will, the valleys will be, um, the valleys will be lifted and the mountains made low. It's already this image of like, Jesus, Jesus levels the playing field. He opens this up. He, does, he hates erecting barriers to people. And so I think at this meeting, Jesus is saying, this dinner, Jesus is saying, Pharisees and experts, I'm giving you another chance, you know? We had our come to me meeting, <laughs> come to Jesus meeting. Woe to you, but listen, will you choose love and relationship instead of rules and impossible standards and erecting barriers to people knowing God? And at the end of that time, it says they got mad and they began plotting and working. So it's clear the ultimatum they chose in that moment. But I think this morning, I wonder if, if Jesus is asking us as a church and us individually, Ashworth, will you choose love and relationship instead of rules and impossible standards and stop erecting barriers to people knowing God? Will you be committed to those things with me? I felt like the Lord was asking me that this week. Amy, will you choose love and relationship with me instead of this need to appease me, you know, with rules or meet impossible standards? And will you commit yourself to not erecting barriers to people knowing God? And I did feel even this week like the Lord was like, I want you to like look around in your life. Do a little self-reflection. What's actually in your heart? What's inside your cup? And so I think that's the invitation for us this morning. What's inside your cup? Look around, and not with guilt or shame, but like Jesus wants to offer us so much more. And following him, there's life, there's humility, there's joy, there's love, there's an easy burden. Amen?